Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, The Tree by H.P. Lovecraft, first published in 1921 and then uh, later republished in 1938, shortly after Lovecraft's death in, uh, in Weird Tales. That was probably where most people got to read it first. A fascinating story. Uh, I'm astonished. Uh, this is perhaps um, indulging in stereotypes, uh, but I don't think of Weird Tales as um, a magazine that caters to people with deep classical education. <laughs> and yet uh, the tree, which Lovecraft himself disparaged as a story, mm -hmm. um, I think, and I'm so glad that you pointed me back to it, Jesse, I think it's really a terrific story that depends in some ways on deep classical education. Yeah, or in my case, having watched uh, a lot of I, Claudius. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, you know, there's... Uh, there's a, a really good podcast called the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast, and when they did uh, the tree, they did it as part of a. Uh, they did two sh stories in one half-hour show, and they were pretty dismissive of it. And I think a lot of people are pretty dismissive of it, including Lovecraft. But I think it's got some magic, um, and I think if you uh, find the magic then it will be even more enjoyable than just, you know, it's just sort of a story otherwise. Well, that's our job today, right? Find mm. the magic. Mm -hmm. the, the story at the, uh, at the most obvious level is uh, some unnamed narrator um, is apparently wandering around in Arcadia, uh, an area of Greece near Mount uh, Menelaus. And uh, he sees... A, a, a ruined uh, he sees a grotesque tree and a ruined uh, mansion and uh, mausoleum um, and the people around there tell him that uh, this is something that has uh, happened because the god the dreaded god pan has done it but he meets an old beekeeper at the end of the first paragraph and the old beekeeper tells him a different story which is most of the the story um and then at the end, we're reminded of the beekeeper and and that's that. So the story within the story, which is the bulk of the story, is of two um, sculptors, the greatest sculptors of their time, Musaides and Callus, uh, apparently, who've been each given the same commission. Um, and the idea is that the commissioner will choose and, and award and pay for and give uh, kudos to um the one who comes up with the best statue. Uh, but these people are known, these two fellows are known for their deep brotherly love. And the, the commissioner, who's the tyrant of Syracuse, is expecting that they will show each other their work as they go along. And therefore, they will get ever more wonderful uh, work. And then he'll come along and just pick the most wonderful of all, which will be the most wonderful statue that anybody has ever seen. Um, it's a statue to Tyche, who is the goddess of luck. And one has to wonder how much luck 
place mm -hmm. here. Uh, but there are lots more details. And since you're the one who brought the story to me, maybe you could could fill those in. Well, uh, I think uh, there's something else going on. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people who read a lot of Lovecraft would notice is that um, the two sculptors are of a different philosophy when it comes to art. One uh, uh, is Kalos is a fan of the city. He goes to cities. He revels in parties. No, I think he, that's Mercedes. Uh, uh, Kalos conversed with the spirits of the grove. You're right. Mercedes hangs out with uh, people in the city. He goes to parties. He drinks a lot of alcohol. Um, I think the idea is that he is a city city dweller, whereas Mercedes. Uh, sorry, whereas Kalos um, basically is a loner, hangs out in the woods, uh, communes with the spirits of the grove, and uh, it's said that his sculptures are modeled after um, no, living, no living creatures, which is to say immortal creatures like dryads and hamadryads and uh, you know, uh, fawns and stuff like that. Or figures, and, of, or figures of imagination. There's that nice right. ambiguity in the story. Right, as to whether those things are real or not is, is fun to think about. And given that the setting is in the country, uh, we, where we've got this, um, their joint studio, which I think is interesting. Um, they share rent, I guess, in their studio. Um, when one of them dies, uh, and I th assume it's uh, Kalos, yes, Kalos dies, the... Uh, other builds a uh, marble tomb for him, a beautiful uh, sepulcher, one that will rival uh, mausoleus. And that's, of course, where we get the mo word mausoleum from, which is a synonym for great tomb, right? But Kalos didn't even want to have a tomb. He said, just plant some twigs from the olive, certain olive trees in the grove at the head of my grave. That's all he wanted. But his friend uh, Menelaus, sorry, not Menelaus, Mercedes, um, Mercedes, there we go. He, he says, no, no, I'm going to build you that tomb and I'll plant the olive grove trees. So I think that there's a setup where we've got the sort of which is a better um, already you know, which philosophy of art is better already built into that. And I think when we get to the end um, and find out, you know, well, or hopefully figure out what's going on in this story, um, really deep down what, why it's happening, then I think that that is, resonance works even better. And so um, basically what I, I dig so much about the story, and it's really obvious to everybody that – this is a murder from beyond the grave, right? This is a, a character who, because he can't, he can't compete and defeat his friendly rival, kills him. But what's not so obvious um, is the thing that I think is hidden, but quite hidden well, in a way that you can figure out, if, especially if you hit that final line, which goes... Over and over again, the night bows whisper, uh, the bows whisper on that a grotesque tree. Oida, oida, I know, I know. What does this tree know? 
Hitting that ending, I know, I know. What does it know? And I think that's what made me go back and reread it and say, wait a second, what's going on with this? What was your take on it the first time you read it? You, you were pretty uh, not into it as much as I was, I guess. The first time I, I read it and thought, uh, so here's a story within a story. Um, it uh, it sounds like uh, a, a little bit like uh, Pose the Descent into the Maelstrom, where you kind of wonder what why the outermost narrator is there at all. Mm-hmm. Um and then, of course, ultimately, with both Poe and this Lovecraft story, it turns out the outermost narrator is crucial. Uh, but uh, it was the story of uh, these two brotherly loving um, sculptors share a house um, and one of them um, dies. Uh, I think, in fact, is poisoned by the other. Mm, yeah. Um, and so... Uh, and then the, so the one who's been poisoned, um, the tree grows out of, you know, the twigs that he had said have been planted by my grave and, uh, and revenge happens. That is, uh, the, the, the heavy grotesque bough of the quickly growing olive tree, uh, crushes the, the dwelling, the statue and the very body of the initial killer, um, and it's uh, okay, you know, it's 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 revenge, it's revenge, um, it's sort of supernatural, and it didn't uh, it didn't move me a lot. So you you actually did get that it was a murder mystery. Uh, well, I didn't see it as a mystery at first. Okay. That's that's okay. That's the thing that why I, it didn't get to me very much. Uh, but then I began to think about it, and I realized as as you're saying about the last line what does the tree know or what do the boughs know what do they know and if it's not explicitly stated no what what i like so much about the story is that the more and more that i listen for the unheard for the unstated the more i know for Mm -hmm. example um we're told that that Kalos and Mosaides live together in this house in the country. And your city-country opposition, I think, is exactly right, um, Jesse. Now, we know that there are slaves there. They, they've got their slaves, which is, of course, uh, common for citizens to have in ancient Greece. Uh, but when Kalos begins to get ill, uh, or when Kalos is ill, I should say, Mosaides pushes the slaves away mm-hmm. so that he's the one who feeds him, that he attends to this, uh, to his friend for whom he has such strong brotherly love that they are well known of it. In fact, when Musides begins to be a little less gay, um, uh, cheerful in, in the town when he goes in in the evenings to drink and, and so on, uh, and people don't understand what it is. As soon as they tell him that Kalos as soon as he tells them that Kalos is uh, ill, they understand immediately. Oh, no wonder. No wonder Musides isn't feeling good. So their love is very, very uh, powerful. It is, in fact, literally famous. That is, it, it, it carries fame in their domain. So what's not said? Well, there are no wives. There right. are no children. Mm-hmm. Right? Apparently, it's just these two guys who are famously full of brotherly love and they're slaves. 
So one has to wonder to what extent their love, especially now, Jesse, as I think about the opposition that you raise between city and country, is they are two fellows of a different mindset. Mm-hmm. If they are kept together, not in fact out of brotherly love, but out of erotic love, which is not all that uncommon after all uh, in ancient Greece, although typically it's supposed to be between an older man and a boy. But in mm-hmm. this case, if we have a homosexual relationship so that they are, they are truly um, powerfully connected with each other because there is a meeting of the body, but not necessarily a meeting of the mind and spirit, then when the tyrant of Syracuse offers them a competition for this incredible uh, commission, it may well be that they are not 100% committed to each other. And it may be that, that Mosides begins to poison the food that Kalos eats so that Kalos is getting more and more subdued. And Musides, of course, is is truly unhappy about that, but he's also not going to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so shooing those slaves away um, is very important in, a, in an environment in which there are no other people. And the absence of those people is not stated here. Right. We have to become the detectives. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll give you another example of that. That In the very first paragraph, uh, we're told that um, at, at the end of that tomb, it's curious roots displacing the time stained blocks of pentelic marble. Um, that's a special kind of really nifty marble mined, uh, quarried from a place called uh uh, Pendilicon, about uh, 30 or 40 kilometers southeast of Athens. Uh, at one end of the tomb, of, by its curious roots displacing the time-stained blocks of pentilic marble, grows an unnaturally large olive tree of oddly repellent shape. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard to imagine a tree that has a repellent shape. So that you, you begin to think, oh, the narrator is reading something into this. And we're told that this uh, is here, these boughs um, are on the, the, the slopes of Mount Menelaus, uh, which is a chosen haunt of, and the word haunt, of course, mm-hmm. brings to mind ghosts right away, of dreaded pan. Now, I, as a, as a 20th and 21st century uh, Anglo, um, Think of Pan, you know, with his goat feet and his Pan pipes. Uh, he's he's merry. He's a prankster. He's uh, uh, he's uh, not exactly a, a, a ruly god. He's an unruly god. Um, he's uh, the god of nature, but um, he's you know I, I don't think of him as dreaded at all. But Lovecraft is in fact quite an erudite fellow, and I began to wonder about this. It turns out that the word panic yep. comes from pan. And, and the etymology is that the word panic is actually a, a, a short form of panicon dimus, that is pan's fear. Mm-hmm. What is pan's fear? According to the sources that I consulted, pan's fear refers specifically 
to those noises that one hears in the forest, in the woods, particularly when one is alone and you can't tell what those noises are, what's making those noises, those those unattributable, unseen, yet heard, strange, inarticulate, and yet perhaps close to articulate noises. Those are the things that make us wonder, what kind of danger are we in? And so panikandimus, right, becomes panic. Panic mm-hmm. is the hearing of voices we can't quite hear, sounds the source of which are not quite known. That connects exactly with those boughs that might be saying, oida, oida, mm-hmm. I know, I know. So, in fact, Pan may have killed, um, may have killed uh, Musides. It may mm-hmm. not be revenge on Kalos's part. It may be that Kalos never even knew that he was being poisoned by Musides. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's, this is very deep for such a short story. Indeed. Indeed. So there are all those things unsaid. And that's why I changed my mind when you sent me back to it, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Started reading the things that weren't said. Um, the absence of other people isn't noted. Why Pan is dread is not is dreaded is not noted. What it is that the bows know, we don't really know. Um, the fact that Tyche is the goddess of luck, maybe this all just happened. The, the, these guys are competing for, for laurels, but it comes out of an olive grove, and it turns out that olive wreaths also are used to crown victors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just there's such a richness here. There's a, a, a beautiful um, thing that happens also in the rereading, because the first time we read it, we don't know, you know, even if we're reading Weird Tales, we don't write out of Weird Tales. We don't know what to look for. But when we get to that ending and we we get the I know, I know, what do they know is the question <laughs> I have. So I have to go back and reread. And then you notice like the way things are laid out in the story are not exactly the same. So one of the things that as, as you might, you know, classify it in a summary. So one of the things that happens is we find out why Kalos is ups, uh, sorry, why Mercedes is upset because. Uh, it's the illness of Kalos, but that comes after we see him upset or perturbed. So here's the the paragraph: At night, at, at night, as of yore, Musades sought the banquet halls of Tegea, whilst Kalos wandered alone in the olive grove. They're just doing their regular thing, right? But as time passed, men observed a want of gaiety in the once sparkling Musades. It was strange, they said amongst themselves, that depression should thus seize one so great uh, with a chance to win art's loftiest reward. And when we find out, oh, it's because his friend's, his friend's sick. Oh, that explains it. But actually, I think there's another reason why he's upset. It's because he's looking at the art that his friend is creating or his quote-unquote friend is creating, his competitor is creating, and seeing that it's much better than his. Right. And so you don't get that uh, <laughs> unless you understand that there's this... So once you get to the end of the story, you say, oh, okay, so one guy murdered the other guy. Okay, I got it. But then you go back and read it, and you say, aha, he's laid, it, he's laid it out. It's like an Agatha Christie story, right? This is... The motivation was clear. 
but only in retrospect, only when you start looking for the clues like uh, Hercule Poirot, right? Right. And so this is this is a cool thing about uh, any kind of fiction that you don't really know what the genre is, right? You know, so you, you just sort of start reading something and you don't know what to look for. You don't know what patterns you're, you're looking for. So if you found this story in a book called Murders from Beyond the Grave, you would say, oh, okay, I got it. But if you found it in a mystery collection, you you would, you know, be observing it better. But just finding it randomly on the internet or something, you, you're you're not knowing what you're looking for. And Lovecraft isn't well known for his mystery stories, right? That's not what he's well known for. So I, I just, I think it's so cool that you can find something within it um, by paying very close attention to uh, beautiful uh, writing with mysterious endings. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I, I, I One of the things that I love about this is that um, it is that we can find things that are not explicitly there. Once mm-hmm. once we realize this, um, those silences are, after all, just what a detective has to deal with. All right. So seeing this as a mystery story, I think, is very good. Uh, but it's also a psychological story, as you say, you need to understand the motives of these characters. Uh, why is it that perhaps Mosides um, poisoned Kalos? Uh, why is there either revenge directly by Kalos or on his behalf by the god Pan? Uh, we need to understand this. And nowhere are we ever told that one is jealous of the other. In fact, quite the opposite. They knew mm-hmm. that no one could look at the statues except each other, right? And so uh, we have to read, as you're saying, things that aren't there. It, one of the lines that gets to me, um, well, it, it's, it's the second of a pair. Um, when Kalos is, is dying and is getting close to the end, Musaidi says he's going to build this wonderful uh, mausoleum for him. Um, but as you uh, paraphrased previously, I'll read the exact words, uh, Kalos bade him speak no more of marble glories, mm-hmm. which is interesting because there's two kinds of marble glories in, in the story. One is mausolea and the other is statues. So Kalos bid him, bade him speak no more of marble glories. Now, just for the to begin this, let's just assume that the glories that, that Kalos is proscribing um, are mausolea. The mm-hmm. next paragraph begins, uh, right? I'm sorry, you should say, and then he says, but, no, but do put some twigs of certain olive trees uh, uh, from the grove ne- near the head of my grave. The next mm-hmm. paragraph begins, Beautiful beyond words was the marble sepulcher which stricken Musides carved for his beloved friend. What an extraordinary sentence. Beautiful beyond words. Mm-hmm. In other words, legalistically, Musides has done just what Kalos asked. He is speaking no more of marble glories because this is a marble <laughs> glory that's beyond words. Right. So legalistically, he's doing exactly what he should do. But actually, he's doing something dead opposite to what Kalos wants. And this brings me back to that notion that there is perhaps a powerful erotic love between them. But there is much less than they think 
a spiritual or fraternal love between them because they are in fact not brothers. One is a city guy and one is a country guy. Um, and that crossing between two worlds doesn't seem to work for them when the stakes are really the strongest. Mm-hmm. So I began to wonder about this story within the story bit. Mm-hmm. It's a beekeeper. I mean, you don't encounter a whole lot of beekeepers. But it turns out that in the Aegean world, the ancient Aegean world, the bee was the sacred insect that carried, just as it carries pollen, you know, from flower to flower, the mm-hmm. bee was the sacred insect that that communicated between our world and the underworld. Mm. So this ancient beekeeper is telling the story. Now, that makes you think, aha, uh-huh. so he may have the right story. But that first paragraph again of the whole story, right? So we're told in the first paragraph that the people around say that it's the Panishi, the uh, the 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 adherents of Pan who have uh, somehow cre- done this or Pan or the worshippers of Pan say that, that Pan has done this thing and destroyed the, the mansion and so on. But an old beekeeper who lives in the neighboring cottage, because he's right there, right, lives in the neighboring cottage, told me a different story. So that sets you up. Lovecraft has set us up to see <laughs> this as a different story. And yet, as we read through, it turns out it could be the same story, right? It, in fact, could be the Panishi who have killed Musides in uh, revenge for Kalos. Or it could be that Kalos himself is a worshiper of Pan because he spends so much time communing in the grove uh, alone, meaning alone with other humans, but not necessarily without Pan and his satyrs and fawns and so on. So the story that the narrator says is a different story could, in fact, be the same story, mm-hmm. which makes me think the narrator doesn't get it. Yeah, no, the, the narrator doesn't get it. The townspeople don't get it. The king of Syracuse doesn't get it. Everybody who's I mean, no one in this story knows what's going on. It's even possible that uh, Kalos doesn't know that he's being murdered by his friend. Indeed, indeed. And it's entirely possible that that once he is murdered by his friend, he doesn't know that that putting the twigs by his head will, in fact, lead to his friend's death. I mean, everybody could be unknowing here. And yet the last words of the story are, I know, I know. And so Lovecraft has has created a cast of characters, both ancient and modern, with maybe an old beekeeper who has lived through all of those periods, sort of, you know, without ever dying. Mm -hmm. Um, None of whom really know what's going on. And to know what's going on depends upon being a careful reader. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the things that I think is uh, resonant with that statue also that they're building, you know, the they're sculpting these two statues. Um, it's for the goddess Taiki, the goddess of luck. Right. And, and prosperity. Um, the king of Syracuse has this brilliant idea. Get get the two greatest sculptures to compete uh, because they're such great friends. They'll help each other and I will profit. It turns out that he has to get it from somewhere else. He got one nice one from Athens, but <laughs> it's not his plan failed. And the reason his plan failed is because 
he misjudged the situation. Now, he would say, oh, bad luck, right? But the more you know about what's going on, the less you say it's luck, right? If you go into the casino and you don't know how any of the, the games work, when you lose, uh, it's not, you just say, oh, I had bad luck, right? But as your skill grows, as you learn to count cards, right? As you learn what games have better odds, luck goes farther and farther away. And I just think that it's 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 so funny that the statues the statue that's destroyed is not just one statue it's two and when they look through the rubble they can't they can never find the statue of of uh, Tyche either statue of Tyche or the body of Mosides. Mm. It's we're told it, it's, it, that it's an it's an odd destruction. Mm. And, you know, pr- praying to the wind god, which they do, yes. <laughs> um, you know, the, it, it's, it's as you look closer and closer, um, as you become more of an investigator of the scientific or the detective type, the less and less you attribute it to just the whims of the gods. Indeed. If you take a look at, at what these people have done um, – Kalos um, is already famous because of his Hermes, who is, uh, that is his statue of Hermes, um, mm-hmm. who is uh, in Corinth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corinth is uh, an interesting town. Um, it's where Oedipus is raised, but it turns out not to be his real home. And that's been perhaps the most famous story of the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Um and, but it's his Hermes that's there, and Hermes is the messenger of the gods, shuttling back and forth, uh, as the bee does, between two different worlds. Musides is well known because of his palace, P-A-L-L-A-S, mm-hmm. um, which is on a pillar in Athens, near the Parthenon, right? Mm-hmm. Right, near the Parthenon. Now, <clears throat> palace is an epithet often given to Athena. Right, palace Athena. Exactly. Now, one of the reasons that Pallas Athena is that Athena is given the name Pallas is that in some of the stories, Pallas is actually another goddess mm-hmm. who competes with Athena, and Athena, Athena, in fact, conquers her in in combat and takes her name and takes her name exactly. Now, it, it, we don't know what year. Pallas, uh, Musides, and Kalos are in. But since we know that the tyrant of Syracuse is sending out messengers who brag about the splendor of his capital city, mm-hmm. and we know that there comes a period in the ancient Greek world when Syracuse, which after all is now in modern Sicily, when Syracuse is actually the dominant city in the Greek world, not Athens. It looks as if the conflict between Pallas and Athena has continued and that Musides um, has, in fact, lost, that his palace has been absorbed by Athena because the tyrant from Syracuse, who can't get a statue of Tyche from either uh, Kalos or Musides, gets a nice one made for him in right. Athens. Mm-hmm. So this story has a, a capsule of some of the most important political history 
of the ancient Greek world right in it. And if you look at the history, what you will see is that the Athens is a city long before Syracuse is a city. Syracuse starts out as the country and then becomes a more powerful uh, colony and then ultimately breaks off from the metropolis and becomes a metropolis in its own right. It's as if the story is telling us that as long as we try to force the city and the country together, we are not going to be able to succeed. But if the city and the country truly are together, as they are in the powerful growth of Syracuse, as they were in the initial growth of Athens, if the city and the country really can be together, then we have both the strength of nature and the wisdom and strength of civilization. That's when we have success. That's when we have a tree that is strong. That's mm. when we have a tree that is not repellent. Or grows too fast and then collapses under the first windstorm, right? Exactly. Yeah. There, there is one other thing that, you know, I think should be mentioned about this story. And then it's it, because it's Lovecraft's writing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to read. And there's an example paragraph. Um, I just think it's it's just gorgeous. I, I love this style of writing. Uh, or I guess it's not a style. It's just the craft. Listen to this. With joy, the sculptors hailed the tyrant's offer, so that in the days that followed, their slaves heard the ceaseless blows of chisels. Not from each other did Kalos and Musides conceal their work, but the sight was for them alone. Saving theirs, no eyes beheld the two divine figures, released by skillful blows from the rough hewn, uh, sorry, from the rough blocks that had imprisoned them since the world began. The the gods are imprisoned within the rocks, and it's the same god, both imprisoned within two blocks of marble. Yeah. There's uh, there's so much to say about this story. Um, I, I almost don't want to leave it, but I guess, as with any good story, um, we simply have to acknowledge that uh, there's always more to say. <laughs>